As you've been seated, open your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 3. We are coming to the end of our verse-by-verse study through Titus. Paul's final instructions in this chapter are focused on our relationships, which makes sense since life is about relationships. Last Sunday, we covered verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to insist on these sayings so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. This saying referred to the truth Paul taught in verses 4 through 7, the truth that God's kindness, love, and mercy to us in Jesus led to our new birth in Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living in us who helps us to live God's way. We have the hope of eternal life with God one day in heaven. This saying, these truths are trustworthy. We can believe in them. We can depend on them because God is trustworthy. Elders and pastors are to insist, preach, and teach God's word confidently and consistently so that God's people can hear, understand, and walk in God's truth. Our faith in God should produce fruit for God. The fruit of our faith in God includes good works for God. Good works include carrying one another's burdens, comforting one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, listening to one another, loving one another, praying with one another, praying for one another, serving one another, doing life with one another. Good works are good and profitable for everyone, for those of us who know Jesus and for those who don't yet know Jesus. As we do God's good works, everyone wins. And we know that Paul made it clear to us in this passage, and in particular in verse 8, that we must remember the why fuels the what. The why fuels the what. We do good works because of God's good work in us. Our good works is the response our response to God's good work in us. And now Paul uh, continued in verse 9. He said, But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, because these are unprofitable and worthless. Notice Paul said, insist on faithfulness in verse 8, Paul said, avoid foolishness in verse 9. Paul said, do this in verse 8. Paul said, don't do this in verse 9. Paul said, avoid. Avoid means shun. It means stay away from. It means to steer clear of. Avoid is a present imperative. It's a command that we're to obey day after day after day. Avoid foolish debates. Foolish means void of understanding, lacking in discretion, judgment, and good sense. It means unwise. Debates means controversies, disputes, questions. Foolish debates are foolish, and they uh, are sparked, and they come from, and they're based on people's ideas, interpretations, and thoughts rather than God's word. Foolish debates involve people, involve, as Paul was sharing, brothers and sisters in Christ, who would rather 
argue and fight than seek truth, understanding, and peace. He said, avoid foolish debates and genealogies. Genealogies means accounts of ancestry. It means family records. Now, biblical genealogies are not in view here in this passage. Biblical genealogies trace the lineage of Jesus, and that's important for us to know as we continue to grow in our faith in Jesus. These genealogies that Paul uh, referred to here in this passage promote speculations. They promote fanciful interpretations. They promote hitting meanings. They promote unnecessary questions rather than faith in God and his word. But avoid quarrels. Quarrels means arguments, means disputes. Quarrels means uh, contention and, and strife. Quarrels made the list in Galatians chapter 5 when Paul was talking about the works of the flesh. Quarrels are sparked by people who are prideful, selfish, who want to be right, who want to win a debate. Quarrels are sparked by people who are insensitive to others. Quarrels among followers of Jesus doesn't make sense because we have the Holy Spirit of peace and truth living within us to help us steer clear of quarrels and arguments based off foolishness. Paul said also avoid disputes about the law. This word disputes literally means word battles and arguments about the Old Testament law of Moses. In particular view here was the false teachers who argued salvation was by works. Paul declared the truth of God's word, and that is salvation is by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. These disputes about the law led people away from God and his grace and peace rather than to God and his grace and peace. And so Paul said, avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. What that means is they have no purpose and they have no value. They have no point. They're a waste of time. They're useless and pointless for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We must understand and acknowledge that due to this instruction being given from Paul to Titus and the elders in the church in Crete, we then know that this situation was happening among the believers in the churches in Crete. We also know from the context of God's word that not only was this happening in the churches in Crete, but it was also happening in the church in Ephesus because Paul wrote some very similar words to Timothy, and Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus. And so, real quick, if you turn to your left just a page or two, you'll come to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4, just to show the similarity between Titus and Timothy and the churches in Crete and Ephesus, Paul wrote these words to Timothy, "'As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus.'" So that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. 
These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. He continued in 1 Timothy, and then in 2 Timothy, he also said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16, avoid irreverent and empty speech for those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Now, I don't know about you. I don't think I need to do a deep dive study on godlessness and gangrene to know and understand it's not good. It's not good at all. He continued and he said in this chapter, he said, reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they only breed quarrels. So as Paul is coming to the end of this amazing letter to Titus, his focus is on relationships, his focus is on brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, his focus is on the body of Christ. And he tells us, we must avoid, we must shun, we must stay away from, we must steer clear of false teachers, number one. False teachers promote foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about law. As Paul told Titus, and you remember back in our study through chapter 1, these false teachers are ruining entire households by teaching things that they shouldn't for material gain. And he's made this clear throughout the study, that we're to avoid false teachers. But here's what he also shares with us. We are to avoid anyone else who practices this foolishness. Anyone else? We're not to listen to them. And we're not to talk with them. We're to avoid them. We're to stay away from them. Because what they're doing is foolish and it's a waste of time. The foolish debates, the quarrels, the arguments, the genealogies, speculations, the hidden meanings, the unnecessary questions, waste of time. They keep us from what God has for us, which is to continue sharing the good news of his gospel and doing the good works that support the good news of his gospel. So he says, avoid them. And then he's not close to being done yet. He continues in verse 10. And he says, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Paul's instruction in verse 9 is avoid. Paul's instruction in verse 10 is reject. I love what Dr. Daniel L. Aiken, a Bible scholar, author, and seminary president said about this passage, this verse in particular. He said, refusing to enter into unnecessary theological wranglings does not mean doing nothing. As the stakes rise, so must the response. Reject means to pay no attention to. Reject means to have nothing to do with. Reject is a present imperative. It's a command for us to obey today and every day. Reject 
pay no attention, and have nothing to do with a divisive person. Divisive means disruptive, means factious. It is the Greek word that we literally get our English word heretic from. A divisive person is argumentative, deceptive, prideful. They refuse to submit to God, his word, and his pastors and elders in the local church. They try to create opposing parties in the church. They try to build, these divisive people try to build up their own band of loyal followers within the church by going to folks one-on-one or one-on-two away and by trying to sway them to their thoughts, to their opinions, to their team, to their side. They will talk negatively about others rather than talking to others in accordance with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. They try to create problems, not peace. They tear down the body, they don't build the body up. They try to pull people away into their little kingdom instead of encouraging people to continue to exist and to enjoy God's big kingdom. They seek to divide rather than unify. And here's the thing about divisive people that that just amazes me. Divisive people are unwise because they act and they speak as if God doesn't see, know, or care. And we all know God sees, knows, and cares. We know this. And when they get in their little huddles, God sees, knows, and cares. And Solomon reminded us of this. In Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon gives us this amazing list And some of us really like lists. Some of us operate and live our lives based off of lists. This is not necessarily a great list, but it's an important list. In Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon tells us that there's a list that we need to be aware of, and the list has seven things that God hates. He says, seven things God finds detestable. Okay, you got my attention, Solomon. One of the seven is the person who stirs up dissension among brothers. That tells me God hates divisiveness. He hates it. He sees, he knows, and he always, as we said last week, judges rightly. Now what I find amazing in this passage, knowing this, is that Paul told Titus, and God is speaking to us through Paul today, and he says this, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Now that's amazing. That means God does not want us to reject a divisive person immediately. No, no, no. He wants us to reject them after a first and second warning which means we're to give grace to others, which comes in the form of warnings to others. Warning means admonition. It means encouragement. It means rebuke. A warning, a first warning, and a second warning is any word of instruction, encouragement, or rebuke designed to correct sinful behavior, 
So when we know there's a divisive person, we go to that person and we are to warn them. We're to warn them. And we're to let them know their behavior is sinful. What they're doing is sinful. It's unpleasing to God and it's unprofitable for God's people. We warn them to get right with God and God's people. We warn them to stop being divisive. We get a divisive person and simply say, stop it in the name of Jesus. Stop doing it. You're damaging the body of Christ. Stop it. And then we need to understand that he does say, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. And as challenging as this is at times to do, it's nonetheless our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ. And what Paul is telling us is if the person does not respond to our warnings, then we are to reject them. It means we're to have nothing to do with them. In essence, we're to turn them over to God. We're to have nothing to do with them in the hopes that God will bring them to conviction of their sin through his work in their lives and the separation that they feel from their brothers and sisters in Christ from what they're doing, which is sinful. And we hope that God will bring them to repentance and obedience once again. But we reject them. We avoid the foolishness and we reject divisiveness because they're a waste of our time. And they hinder us from doing what God calls us to do, which is love one another as Christ loves us. And to do the good works that God's called us to do, to grow in our faith and trust in Christ Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel. It hinders us in all that God calls us to do. And then he continues in verse 11 and, and just summarizes it for us. And he says, for you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning, he is self-condemned. What, what Paul said, just to give us some comfort, is he said, uh, you know that a divisive person who doesn't respond to warnings from God's people has turned away from God and sinned against God. They're sinning. They're living in sin. And such a person, he or she, a divisive person, he or she, is self-condemned. What does that mean? It means their sin and disobedience to God is obvious and clear to everyone because of the words and the actions that are coming from their lives. And so we're, again, to avoid the foolishness that we see in verse 9, we're to reject the divisiveness that we see in verse 10, 11, because they hinder us from what God has called us to be and to do. So what is our application? How do we respond? How do we take this passage? And we need to respond to this passage. We need to apply it in our lives and in our relationships because this is focused in our relationships. And so one quick response, one application point, and we'll apply it in a few different ways. But the key application point here in this passage is this. I must protect the unity in God's family. It's clear. It's obvious. Paul is sharing with these brothers and sisters in Christ you and I must protect the unity in God's family. We are brothers and sisters by 
God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We are members of God's family in Christ Jesus. We have been forgiven by the blood Jesus shed for us on the cross of Calvary. We have been regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit of God. We are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. You and I, we must protect our unity in Christ Jesus. We must protect the unity in the body of Christ that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. We must remember, as Paul is reminding Titus and the believers in these churches in Crete, and he's reminding us today, God Almighty is reminding us today, we are engaged in the battle of spiritual warfare. We need to be reminded of this. We need to understand this. We need to acknowledge this. We are engaged in the battle of spiritual warfare as followers of Jesus Christ. And our enemy is not false teachers. Our enemy is not divisive people. Our enemy is not difficult people. Our enemy is not those we know. Our enemy is not those we don't know. Our enemy is Satan and his demonic forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan is the liar. Satan is the accuser of you and me. Satan is the tempter. Satan is disruptive. Satan is deceptive. Satan is a divider. And Satan is the one who wants to undo what God is doing in us, for us, through us, and around us. Satan reminds us of our past sins to paralyze us in the present. Satan wants to separate us and pull us away from God and the truth of his word. Satan wants us to turn on one another. He wants to fill us with anger, anxiety, discouragement, fear, loneliness, hopelessness, pride, sinfulness, selfishness, stress, and any other possible sin he can to get us off track from God and one another. And Satan is relentless in his work against us. He's relentless in his tactics and his attacks against you and against me. We must work to protect the unity in God's family. We must work to protect the unity in our families. We must, protect, we must work to protect the unity in our marriages. We must work to protect the unity in our life teams. We must work to protect the unity in our church family. We must do the hard work of protecting that unity. As Paul said, we must make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We must love one another as Christ loves us. We must listen to one another. We must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry with one another. We must forgive one another as we've been forgiven by God in Christ Jesus. We must encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of us will be hardened by sin's deception. We must meet one another's needs. We must pray with one another and for one another. We must care for one one another. We must carry one another's burdens. We must speak God's truth and love to one another. We must comfort one another. We must walk with one another day by day, step by step, moment by moment. We must do life with one another. What he's saying is we must watch one another's back spiritually. That's what he's saying. We must watch one another's back spiritually. Husbands, you must have your wife's back spiritually. Wives, you must have your husband's back spiritually. Parents, you need to have your kids back spiritually. Kids, you need to have your parents back spiritually. Brothers and sisters, we need to have one another's back spiritually. We can't get involved in foolishness and divisiveness. It's a complete and utter waste of time. And we know and understand that Jesus has told us that we are to love one another as he has loved us. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. Everybody outside the church will know we're a part of God's church by the way in which we love one another. Well, this foolishness and divisiveness doesn't speak love. 
It hinders what God is doing in us and for us and what God wants to do through us. So how do we protect our unity in Jesus? Well, there's some steps right here in this passage. So let's just pull these steps out and uh, we can apply these in our lives today and this week. This is something for each one of us. Maybe God's going to use all five in your life today and this week. Maybe he's going to use all five before lunch today. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe he'll get all the way through just, he'll, maybe he'll park on one or two with you this week. But I can guarantee you God is going to give us opportunities to apply these steps in our lives because he wants us to protect our unity in Jesus. And that's why God's brought us here this morning so we can listen to him and that we can live for him. The first step is preach God's word. We must know God's word in order to live God's way. So that means elders and pastors, and I'm speaking to myself and to other pastors and elders, our Bible teachers and all of our different ministers, our life team leaders. We need to preach and teach God's word. We need to proclaim things that are consistent with sound teaching. We need to insist on these things that are in God's word. God's word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. God's word teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness so that each one of us, will be ready and equipped, able to do what God wants us to do. And you know as well as I do, the truth of God's word helps to protect us from temptation and sin. The more we hide God's word in our hearts, the less we will wander away from God into sin. The second step is obey God's word. He's been sharing this with us all throughout uh, this letter, but certainly here in chapter 3. Obey God's word. Knowing God's word is step one. Obeying God's word is step two. As James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. We show our faith in God by our obedience to God. We reap God's blessings in our lives and relationships as we walk in obedience to God. Jesus himself told us, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And so we know and understand a real simple yet incredibly powerful way we protect the unity in our marriages, that we protect the unity in our families, we protect the unity in our church family. A powerful way we protect the unity is by obeying God's word. Because God's word will always lead us to God and to one another and to love one another and to live God's way. His word will always lead us to that and his spirit in us will always encourage us to do just that. So we preach God's word. We obey God's word. The third step is show God's grace. We who have received God's grace must continue to show God's grace. He made this clear in this passage in an amazing way. We show God's grace as we preach God's word. We show God's grace as we obey God's word. We show God's grace as we do good works. We show God's grace as we warn divisive people to go God's way. We show God's grace. And in so doing, we're able to see others and ourselves drawn to God because God uses his grace at work in and through our lives to draw us to him and those he places around us to him. And so we show this grace again and again and again. And then we see the fourth step is practice church discipline. Practice church discipline. Because this passage is here in 
the canon of Scripture, because God included it in his truth to us that he left for us. We understand, again, now as we're looking at this truth, that though at times it's hard for us to believe, and though at times I think in general we don't want to believe it's the case, at times we just want to act like, no, 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 that, that, that really can't be. No, there's, there's no way. The truth is, there are people in God's family who enjoy foolish debates. There are people in God's family who enjoy quarreling. There are people in God's family who are divisive. There are people in God's family who like to try to create their own little kingdoms. There are people in God's family who try to pull people apart from one another. Therefore, we must practice church discipline. We must avoid foolishness. We must avoid foolish arguments, debates, and quarrels. We must reject a divisive person after a couple of warnings. We certainly warn divisive people about their divisiveness. Listen, what Paul is reminding us of this morning is we must not excuse divisive people. We must not ignore divisive people. And what happens often, we must not protect divisive people. We must never join divisive people. We reject divisiveness. And we warn those folks in love with gentleness and respect. And we warn them according to the truth of God's word. And we go to them and we warn them to stop living in sin. We go to them and we warn them to turn back to the Father because they've gone astray from the Father. We warn them to renew their commitment to follow Jesus by faith. But if they continue in sin, we must reject them. We have nothing to do with them. And as we reject them, it's vitally important that we must forgive them for whatever harm or hurt they may have caused to us or the body. And we must certainly pray for them. And we certainly hope that God will convict them and bring them back to him. And ultimately, we hope and pray that God will bring them back to the body, to the church body, healthy and functioning in the way God wants them to. But nonetheless, we must, we must, in agreement with the truth of God's word, reject them. As difficult and as unpleasant as it is, because getting involved in these activities wastes the time that God has given to us to do his work and his strength for his honor and his glory. And in the fifth step, when we're talking about protecting unity in the body of Christ, our church family, but this can also be applied in your marriages and in your families, your life teams, in every area, protecting unity that we enjoy as brothers and sisters in Jesus. The last step is persevere. Persevere, 
persevere, persevere. Do not give up on God. Do not give up on others. Do not get frustrated. Do not throw in the towel. Persevere in your faith in Jesus. Persevere in keeping your eyes on Jesus. Persevere in preaching and teaching God's word. Persevere in obeying God's word. Persevere in showing God's grace. Persevere in practicing church discipline. Persevere, persevere in giving warnings to one another. Persevere in doing good works. Persevere in comforting one another. Persevere in encouraging one another. Persevere in forgiving one another. Persevere in showing grace to one another. Persevere in listening to one another. Persevere in loving one another. Persevere in praying with and for one another. Persevere in serving one another. Persevere in making the most of the time that God has given to us on a day-by-day basis. Persevere in the hard work of ministry. Persevere in the hard work of relationships. Persevere in protecting our unity in Jesus. Persevere in protecting the unity in your marriage. Persevere in protecting the unity in your family. Persevere in protecting the unity in your friendships. Persevere in protecting the unity in your life teams. Persevere in protecting the unity in your discipleship groups. Persevere in protecting the unity in your church family. Persevere in sharing Jesus with others. Persevere in showing Jesus to others. You see, Paul is telling us as he comes to the end of this letter to Titus, God speaking through Paul is reminding us time is short, eternity is at stake, and people need Jesus. We must not get distracted from what God is doing in us and for us and what God wants to do through us. Satan wants to distract us and discourage us and keep us from all that God has for us. And so we must insist on faithfulness. We must avoid foolishness and we must reject divisiveness. We must make the most of the time God gives us. We can't afford to waste time. We must make the most of the time God gives us. As Paul said, we're to be careful then how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, we need to understand what the Lord's will is. We don't need to be foolish, but we need to understand what the Lord's will is so that we can do the Lord's will filled by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we need to make the most of the time that God gives us day by day to embrace and enjoy and to express his truth in our lives and relationships. And we need to continue to live, love, and lead his way. And we are reminded that what Paul has shared with us in this passage makes the difference in us and for us, and that is simply this, that God has poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We have the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us and he poured out his spirit on us so that we could persevere in our faith in Jesus. Perseverance is a gift of God's grace to you and to me. Perseverance is the desire and strength that God gives us to go on when we really truly want to give up. And so Paul is calling on us in our lives, in our relationships, as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Persevere. Persevere in loving one another, in living for Jesus with one another. Persevere in continually, moment by moment, day by day, step by step, taking those steps to come to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and take those steps to remain close to God. Draw near to God. Draw near to him and he will help us draw near to one another. We persevere 
and the power of Jesus. And as we do, we protect the sweet unity we enjoy in Christ Jesus. The unity in this church family, in this body, is strong. It's sweet. Because there's a commitment here to put these words into practice in our lives. And so I have the joy, I have the privilege, I have the honor of being able to preach and teach God's Word. This particular passage, with the knowledge and understanding that there is a hunger and there is a passion for this exact truth here in this church family. And I preach this passage with joy, but also with passion because I know that the enemy would love nothing more than to undo what God is doing here in our church family. And he wants to do the same in our lives, in our marriage, in our families. And so God is calling us once again to persevere, to persevere in our faith in Jesus. And in so doing, we are able to protect the unity we enjoy in Christ Jesus. And in essence, what happens is we're actually able to protect one another as brothers and sisters in Christ who truly love God and truly love one another. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of response. Our prayer partners will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. It's one of the ways that we persevere is, is through prayer. It's through praying for one another and with one another. And so we want to continue to do that this morning. And so I want to encourage you, as always, the altar is open, as it always is. If you want to come and kneel, do business with the Father, then we want you to do just that. These folks who are standing up here, they'd love to pray with you, pray over you, pray for you. We don't want you to carry a, a concern, a need, a burden into this room and then carry it out of this room without allowing brother, sister in Christ, to pray for you, to pray with you, to pray over you. God is speaking and working in our midst in these moments. Maybe you want to grab a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. Maybe you just want to grab your husband, your wife, and just come and kneel and just rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in His blessings. Rejoice in what He is doing in your family, in your marriage. Rejoice in what He's doing here in our church family in our English ministries, in our Spanish ministries. God's speaking. He wants us to respond. And most importantly, that response, first and foremost, needs to be a response to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. As Paul has been sharing is in this passage, Jesus took our place on the cross and paid our price for sin. Jesus died on the cross in our place. He was buried in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. He is alive today. And the only way for us to have a relationship with God the Father is through faith and trust in God the Son, Jesus, and His death, burial, and resurrection for our salvation. We are able to be declared right with God in Christ Jesus and His perfect righteousness of His perfect sacrifice on the cross for you and for me. Let me encourage you, sir or ma'am, if you've yet to receive this gift of salvation, that power of Jesus does not yet reside in you, but it can today. And that power helps you to, to persevere and to do all that God will call you to do. 
And that happens in faith and trust in Jesus. These prayer partners would love to introduce you to Jesus as well. God's people are praying and moving. Let's respond in obedience to him. Let's stand and let's worship the Father together.